So if you want to run a little bit, want to dance a little bit, want to just jump a little bit, you know, don't be afraid to allow the Holy Ghost to express himself through you. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, this, this week as, as I was reading, and I was, kept running across the word impute. Now, technically, I know what that means. But I thought, I don't really know what that means. And so, I want to talk about no imputation of sin this morning. And I don't know, I might, I might actually spend a couple of weeks talking about it. Because the more that I looked at it, and the more scriptures that I read concerning it, the more important I began to realize that it was. To impute something is to charge or attribute it to somebody. And he says that he will not impute sin to our account, to, to each and every one of us. So he's not going to charge it. He's not going to attribute it to us. You know, Jesus came and he paid the price on the cross for all humanity. We know that. But I don't want us to just simply know it. I want us to know it. You understand what I mean? There, there's things that you know. And then there's things that you know. We need to know this. You know, we, we see it in the Old Testament where the, the high priest would make sacrifice of animals on a, on a regular basis, but, but none of those animals were able to take away sin. It would cover it over. It would appease God, if you will. But it was Jesus on the cross that he, he paid the price. He not only covered our sin, he removed our sin. And so what I want us to see this morning, that because the word says he will not impute sin to you and I. That means it's not going to be laid to our account. And that's because Jesus didn't just simply cover it over. Jesus wiped it out. And I think it's so hard for us to grasp that. And we know how difficult it is because every time we fail... Amen. Don't shout me down now. Every time we feel, fail, what happens? We, we feel guilty. Now there should be a desire for us to serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. But there ought not to be an attitude of guilt and condemnation that comes upon us, which, which happens, and it happens because we don't have the revelation, the understanding that Jesus, because of his great price that he paid for you and I, he's not going to lay it to our account. The reason that he's not going to lay it to our account is because he took it upon himself. And so, those are some of the things that we're going to look at today. 
and how Jesus came in the flesh. He had to take upon himself flesh because otherwise he would never have been able to qualify to be the sacrifice for our sins. And so let's pray and let's get into the word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word that it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that it divides asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. We thank you, Father, that your word is life. And when we receive your word, we receive life into our very being. And so, Father, as we study this word this morning, help us to open our hearts and minds to receive that which you've set before us. Father, that we might walk in the fullness of that which you've provided for us. That we would no longer be those that walk around with guilt and shame and fear. Father, that we would recognize because of what Jesus has done for us, it no longer has a hold upon us. That we have been set free. And Father, your word says, he that is set free is set free indeed. And Father, we want to be fully walking in that freedom. And so we yield to the Holy Spirit today that he might teach us. And so we thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you know, Jesus came to put a stop to the continual need for animal sacrifice. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to Hebrews, the second chapter. We're going to skip around a little bit, but don't lose your place in Hebrews because if you've got one of, these, one of these little things here, you know, just put it in Hebrews and that way you'll be able to get back to it real quickly. I mean, it'll be up on the board, but there's just something special about seeing it in your own Bible. But in Hebrews... The second chapter in the 14th verse, it says, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. So just as you and I are flesh and blood, Jesus uh, partook in the same. In other words, he became flesh and blood. Likewise shared in the same. That through death, he, Jesus, might destroy, I must say destroy. I like that name. I like that word in this context. That he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you know why bondage gets a root in our life? Because of fear of death. Because of the evil one. The fear that we're not going to survive. But we're going to survive. You know, <clears throat> I had to pick on him all the time. But Reverend Harold, when he shared this his testimony, 
I can't, I, I mean, I can't tell you how often I go back to that and think over his account. How could have he ever done that if he had a fear of death? Because everything around him said he wasn't going to make it. That was an impossibility. You know, we've got a <clears throat> pretty good that we, where we live right now. Come on now. We got it pretty doggone good. But what is it? That fear of death, that fear of not making it, because remember, death in its true sense is not talking about ceasing to exist. It's talking about separation. We're fearful of being separated from our good life. We're fearful of losing our job being separated from. We're fearful of this, that, and the other thing. Where, what's the root of that fear? It's death. Fearful that we're going to lose something. But when we realize what Jesus has truly done for us, I say when we realize what Jesus has truly done for us, we no longer have that fear of separation. Because we know it's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon what Jesus has already accomplished for me. I'm not waiting for it to be done. Praise the Lord, it's already done. Jesus already did it for each and every one of us. And so what we see in this passage is how it was necessary for Jesus to come in the flesh, to walk on this earth as a man. And I believe it's in Philippians where it says that he set aside his deity. So everything that Jesus did on the earth, he did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound similar to what we're supposed to be doing and are able to do? And he did it confidently because he knew, now, now he was still looking forward to death. Remember when he was in the garden, he said, Father, if there be any other way, remove this cross from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And so he didn't want to go through the torment that he was going to go through. But he is willing to go through it because he knew that it was the only way that you and I would be relieved, would be set free from the torment that you and I deserved. It's all because of Jesus. But notice he went through it, and he then went through it as a man. Oh, it's so, it's so hard to be a human being in this day. It's because we're relying on ourselves rather than looking to the one who has come to set us free so that fear can no longer dominate and control our lives. Let's turn over a couple pages to Hebrews the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 5th verse. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
This is Jesus. This is written prophetically. Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So there was a body that was prepared for Jesus. For what purpose? That he might make the offering for all sin. Not just some, but for all. Dropping down to the 12th verse. And it says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. The one sacrifice that Jesus performed was sufficient forever. If it wasn't sufficient forever, that would have meant that Jesus would have had to suffer over and over and over again. But he paid the price one time forever. I say forever. Your sin was paid for one time forever. And then what happened? It says, then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he sit down? Because he was done. The work was finished. You know, I heard a preacher say this one time, if you ever see a vision of Jesus and he's standing up, get ready, he must be coming back. Because that's the next thing he's going to do because he's done what he's done. People say, well, I'm just, I'm just waiting for Jesus to do something. Jesus has already done it. We need to recognize it. We need to acknowledge it. We need to begin to walk in it. He paid the price for all men forever. Tenth verse, Hebrews 10. By that, <clears throat> by that will we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know what that means? Forever. He did it one time. Are you kind of getting what he's sharing with us here? That it was one time, once for all, forever. 14th verse. Oh, I guess that was the 14th verse, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Then we'll go to the 14th verse. For by one offering, he has perfected... Better look out. You might not be able to handle this one. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We've been perfected forever. I'm one of those being sanctified. I'm one of those made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said that it's that one time that we've been perfected forever. Let me... Let me read that out of the Amplified. For by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. That's you and me. For all times, forever, he's completed the task that was set before him. Let's back up a little bit and let's go to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And let's go to the 25th verse. Not, and again, this is talking about Jesus, 
not that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood of others. Not that he should have to do this often. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, everybody say, but now. Once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is pointed, appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. In other words, the second time he's going to appear, it has nothing to do with sin. The first time Jesus came and appeared, it was concerning sin. It was all about sin, to wipe away our sin. But when Jesus comes back the second time in his return, in the rapture, it has absolutely nothing to do with sin. Because the sin question has been settled forever. And it was taken care of through his precious blood that he poured out. He needed a sacrifice once. Why? Because he is the perfect sacrifice. In the old covenant, they sacrificed over and over and over again. Why? Because they were not a perfect sacrifice. All they could do was cover sin. But Jesus has not simply covered your sin. Jesus obliterated your sin. Jesus washed away your sin. Sin in your life, in my life, is no longer the issue. The issue is, do we believe? Because you see, belief does an interesting thing. It leads us away from those things that would want to dominate and control our life. Why does sin have dominance in our life in any area? It's because of unbelief. It isn't because the price hasn't been paid. The price has been paid. And so we need to choose to believe. Going back over to the Gospel of John. Don't lose your place in Hebrews because we're going to come back there. In the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, <clears throat> you know, and we used to say that it had significance because we didn't have nice little letters on the wall. We, we had to bring our own Bibles. We had to learn how to use them. We still, we still need to learn to use our Bibles. Amen. John, the 12th chapter, and the 31st verse, it says, Now is, is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, who's this talking about? This is Jesus. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his death, the means by which he's going to die. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all 
peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by the death he would die. Now it's interesting about this. And this is why it's important that you're looking in your own Bible. Um, In verse 32 where it says, I will draw all people to myself. It's in italics. And so what that means is that word actually isn't in the Greek. It's added for clarification. Do you realize that oftentimes when we add to the word for clarification, we confuse the word. Remember we had a guy in our church one time, he said the Lord spoke to him because he was an evangelist that if, if he had lift up Jesus, he would draw all men unto him. And you know that, that's what we're to do is we're to lift up Jesus. But in the context of this, it isn't really talking about drawing people unto himself. What it's talking about, he's talking about drawing all our sin unto him. Guess what happened when Jesus died on the cross? All of our sins were laid upon him. All of your sin, past, present, and future was laid upon Jesus when he was lifted up. Now, of course, we're to be drawn unto him. And when we look at the cross, we ought to be drawn unto him for what he completed to us. But the context of this verse is talking about our sin being laid upon Jesus, that our sin was taken to the cross. Why is it that we no longer have to walk in fear? Because our sin was laid upon Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, you and I, we have been set free. That sin can no longer dominate and control us. Why? Because it was laid upon Jesus. When we look at the cross, what do we really see? When we look at the cross, do we just see a dying Jesus? Or when we look to the cross, do we see our sin laid upon Jesus, that he bore it for you and I, that we might walk free? It isn't just so that we can go to heaven. Now, if that's all there were, it'd be glory to God, more than enough. But it wasn't just for that. It was so that we might walk free, that we might experience the wholeness that he's made available to each and every one of us. You know, the law was given to the Jews. And so oftentimes we've picked up on it. And religiously we've tried to apply it to ourselves that which was given to the Jews for a season. He's come to set us free. Look at, let's look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's look at the 26th verse. It says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And so many people misinterpret this and think that if they sin, because there is no sacrifice for it, 
they will always be judged for their sin. This is what religion tells us. And this way of thinking puts us into bondage. The truth, everybody say the truth. The Bible says you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. And so we need to know truth. The truth is the knowledge that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins, all of them. To sin willfully is to reject him after he has revealed to us and go back to the old system. What's it saying? If we sin willfully, what we're demonstrating is unbelief. We're saying, Jesus, what you've done for me isn't enough because when we sin willfully, what happens? We open the door for guilt, for condemnation, for fear, for all of those things to come upon us. And when we allow that to happen, what are we saying? Something's gotta be done. And so he says there's no longer remains a sin because there isn't another sacrifice to be paid. The sacrifice has already been paid. So what do we do? We go back to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I thank you that through your blood, which was shed for me, the price for this sin has already been paid for and I thank you for it. And it has no hold on me. It cannot dominate me. It cannot control me. It cannot bring fear into my life. Why? Because Jesus paid the price so that I might walk in wholeness. You see, there's not another sacrifice to be paid. The sacrifice has already been made and that sacrifice was made through Jesus Christ. And you see, if we're not aware of that, if we don't have an understanding of that, what happens? We begin to think we're gonna do something. We begin to think I've done something. But it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Even your sin, it's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done in your life. And as we recognize it and as we acknowledge it, you know, <clears throat> was it last week that I taught on Thanksgiving? So that's where our Thanksgiving comes in. That's where the victory comes out of our thankful heart. Father, I thank you that the blood of Jesus has paid the price for all of my sins. Father, I know that at times I fall short. But in spite of me, your blood, that sacrifice, has paid the price for my sin that I might live a life of victory, that I might walk in the fullness of what you've made available to me. In Romans, the third chapter, Romans, the third chapter, in the 20th verse. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh 
will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let me read that again. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gives us an awareness, a consciousness of sin. So anybody that is suffering, because it is suffering, been there, of which I speak, I am well aware. A sin consciousness leads to bondage. Doesn't lead to victory. So if I'm living in a sin consciousness, what am I aware of? I'm aware of the law. I'm comparing myself to the law. I'm looking at the law and realizing how far I've fallen short. But we need to have a, we need to have a righteousness consciousness. What's a righteousness consciousness? A righteousness consciousness is being conscious of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And so what's going to determine that? What's going to determine that is what am I focusing on? What am I dwelling on? What do I give first place in my life? Do I review the completed works of Jesus? Or do I look at it and look and see how far I've fallen short of where I ought to be? That's our tendency. Amen. That's what we have a tendency to do. Look at ourselves rather than to look at Jesus and see what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. Knowing that we have sinned under the law brings a fear of death. I don't know about you, before I was born again, I was so fearful of death. I was fearful of separation. I was fearful that something was gonna happen in my life. I was fearful of losing this, not just simply physically dying. I was fearful of everything. You know what's sad about it is I got born again and there was a period of time where I still wrestled with those things because I didn't realize who I was in Christ Jesus. And religion has a tendency to affirm those things to us. That we're failures, that we've fallen short, that we're no good, there's no good thing in us. Well, there's something good in me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives on the inside of me. I don't have my phone. Where did that come from? <laughs> Probably an alarm. Doesn't do any good because I don't pay attention to him anyway. <clears throat> but we need to be aware of what Jesus 
has done for each and every one of us. Listen to this. A transgression is a violation of the law. But before the law, the people were not conscious of their sins. There was sin in the Old Testament before the law was established, but it was not considered a transgression. You don't hear that terminology until after the law was given. Let's, let's look at Galatians, the third chapter. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. What then? This, what? 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 Why is this so hard to understand? He tells us what he's about to describe here. What? Why is this so hard to understand? Why do people attack this? What then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose, to expose to men their guilt. Isn't it interesting? Men would sin, but they weren't really aware of it. And so why was the law given? The law was given so that they might be aware of what they had done. But when was it given? It wasn't given before the promise. It was given after the promise to disclose, to expose to men their guilt. Why? Because of transgressions and to make more men more conscious of their sinfulness, of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir should come to <clears throat> and concerning whom the promise had been made. Who's the heir? Who's the seed? Jesus. It was to be given until. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels, instrumentality of angels, and was given by the hand in the person of a go-between, Moses, an intermediator person between God and man. Now, a go-between, intermediator, has to, do, <clears throat> has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Let me tell you something. If you're having a discussion with your thought and you have to have a mediator in your life, you have a problem. You're knowing as a split personality. We don't need a mediator in our own life because we are one. And what he's saying here, if it was just one, there'd be no need for a mediator, but there is because there was more than one. Now a go-between uh, intermediator has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Yet God is only one person, and he was the sole party in giving the promise to Abraham. 
but the law. So, with Abraham, there was no need of a mediator because the promise was directly to him. But the law was a contract. God did not have a contract with Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. You see, we've got to be willing and able to distinguish between the two. Abraham was blessed because of promise. Now, with Moses, when the law was given, it wasn't the same. But the law was a, con was a contract between two, God and Israel. Notice who it was between, God and Israel. Its validity was dependent upon both. Is the law then contrary, opposed to the promise of God? Of course not. For if the law had been given, which could confer spiritual life, then righteousness and right standing with God would certainly have come by the law. The law could not produce spiritual life. Could not. God did not give the Ten Commandments to make people holy, but to make them recognize the seriousness of sin. Why is it so important that we recognize the seriousness of sin? Because it leads to death. The law was never intended to be, to be in effect forever. And it had an exp expiration date. Remember, until. It was only intended to be operational until Jesus. Until he came. Let's read on a little further, still in the Amplified. Verse 22. But the scriptures picture all mankind as sinners, shut up and imprisoned by sin, so that the inheritance, blessings, which was promised through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, might be given, received, delivered, and committed to all those who believe who adhere to, who trust in, who rely on him. Not relying upon the law, but those that are dependent, reliant on Jesus. Now before the faith came, we were <clears throat> perpetually guarded under the law, kept in custody to <clears throat> in preparation for the faith that was this that was destined to be revealed, unveiled, disclosed, so that the law served to us Jews as our trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ, to lead us unto Christ until Christ came, that we might be justified, regarded righteous, put in right standing with God by and through. Faith, it's always been faith. But now that the faith has come, 
We're no longer under a trainer or guardian of our childhood. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, it's not talking about water baptism, This is talking about when you were born again, you were immersed in Christ Jesus. You were clothed with Christ. Baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, have put on, clothed yourself with Christ. There is now no distinction between Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. How? Through faith of the completed works of Jesus. We're no longer under bondage to sin. The original contract was between God and the Jews. It had nothing to to do with the Gentiles trying to live by the law. The law, to break the law was a transgression. Law makes sin a transgression. Let's look at Romans. The fourth chapter. The 13th verse. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Remember Abraham, it was reckoned to him as righteous. He was considered righteous The way that he was considered righteous was by faith. So Abraham's righteousness had absolutely nothing to do with the law. It was a result of a promise. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. In other words, If you and I, if we can do it by the law, then we don't need Jesus. We don't need faith. We can just do it ourselves. Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. When? When we believe that we're going to do it in our own strength and in our own abilities. Let's skip over to Romans, the fifth chapter, and the 13th and 14th verse. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed. There's the word that I wanted to get to. Remember what it says? Sin is not imputed to us. For until the law, sin was in the world. And sin is not imputed when there is no law. What does the imputation of sin do in our lives? Brings guilt, brings shame, brings condemnation, brings fear, 
But sin is not imputed towards us because it's imputed through the law. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. You know, what's interesting is after the law, sin was imputed. There came guilt and there came condemnation. And the interesting thing about guilt, condemnation, fear, all those things will, if you excuse me, they'll kill you. They'll destroy you. And isn't it interesting, from Adam to Moses is when individuals on the earth lived the longest. And it's like the lifespan of individuals began to be shortened after sin was imputed upon man. And how was it imputed? Through transgression. Now remember this about transgression. Transgression is based on you or me breaking the law. And when we break the law, then transgression, we've transgressed that law. But you know, when there's no law, there's nothing to transgress. Transgress. Try to say that three times without stuttering. And so we've been, we've been set free from that. What's interesting is the day the law was given, 3,000 died. On the day of Pentecost, when man was filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 were saved. What a change. What happened on that day? Man was set free from transgression. You and I are free from it. No longer allow it to dominate, to control your life because it does, brings destruction. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. The 14th verse. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleansing your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works. You know what dead works are? Dead works are you and me trying to earn what Jesus has already provided for us. In Hebrews 6 where it has the, the list of the Six elementary principles of Christ. The basic principles of Christ, which I believe all doctrine is built upon. The first one is repentance from dead works. 
Do you know what that means? That means you and I repent, we turn from trying to earn our own salvation. The second point is faith towards God. Repentance from dead works. Repentance from trying to earn your own salvation. And we go from there to faith towards God or realizing that Jesus has done it all. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus has already done. Like I said, a sin consciousness destroys. It brings strife. It brings division. It brings all sorts of evils into our life. But Jesus came and he set us free from all of that. In Romans, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse. Blessed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Remember what I said about something that's imputed? To impute something is to charge or attribute it to somebody. It's not been brought to our charge. It's not, it's not on our account. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And who shall he not impute sin to? Every man, every woman, every child that has received by faith what Jesus did for them through his death, burial, and resurrection, recognizing that when Jesus was lifted up, every one of our sins were drawn upon or laid upon Jesus. And so he therefore paid the price for every one of our sins. You know what the tragedy of hell is? The tragedy of hell is that every individual that will spend eternity, human being that will spend eternity in hell, Jesus paid the price for. Their sin was placed upon, upon Jesus, but they refused to believe. And so it's not about sin, it's about belief. The sin issue was taken care of through Jesus. So it's a, it's a belief issue where we choose to believe what Jesus has done for us or where we choose to believe that I still have to do something to earn my well-being. Well, you know, pastor, you better be careful if you talk that way, people will think they can go out and do whatever they want. Well, if people think that way, then they need to get born again because they obviously aren't believing in Jesus. 
Because if you believe in Jesus, if you're aware of Jesus, if you know what Jesus has done for you, there is this longing to serve him. But what happens? He says he removes that consciousness of sin and so we no longer live a life of guilt, of shame. That pain is removed from each and every one of us. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So there's things that come against us, but we choose to believe. Ephesians 2.6, And raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. You're seated in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. You know, <clears throat> we get persecuted so severely. You know, we get called names. You know, we get called really horrible names like Bible thumper or Jesus freak or fanatic. Ooh, ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. But you know what? When we have our eyes on the completed works of Jesus, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. Let me tell you, individuals that have suffered persecution, how do they overcome it? Is it because they, they think that they're earning something? No, if they're going to overcome it, it's because they've got their eyes on Jesus and they're acknowledging and recognizing everything that Jesus has done for them. That's how we overcome. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. First one that ever heard teach on this verse was an old Chinese teacher by the name of Watchman Nee. He talked about how we are experientially and where we are positionally. And he says, someday, experientially, we're going to be in the presence of God in heaven. But right now, today, because we've received him as our Lord and Savior, positionally, we're in the presence of Jesus. Right now, this moment, we're in the presence of Jesus. But are we aware of it? We've got to realize positionally where we are right now. Right now, experientially, you may have pain in your body, but positionally, you need to recognize that what Jesus has done for you is complete and you're the healed of the Lord. Experientially, you may be experiencing some lack in your life right now, but you overcome that by recognizing positionally, my needs are met right now in Christ Jesus because he paid the price. And because he paid the price, say that three times without stuttering. Because he paid the price, nothing. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, powers. Nothing can separate you 
from the love of Christ. And if nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, nothing can keep you from the manifestation of the love of Christ, which is his grace present in every area. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He's done it all. So that that is going to be a reality experientially in every one of our lives. But it's by faith. It's by believing. Not by us trying to work it all out. You know, in John 4, there's the account of Jesus at the well when he encountered the woman. When he spoke to her, he had said to her, go tell your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you have seven, five, a bunch of them. And uh, he said, you say, well, because the one you live with, you're not even married to him. And so she encountered Jesus. She received a revelation of his goodness. In spite of everything that she had done, according to the law, she was disqualified. But she encountered Jesus. There are those of us in this room, according to the law, we are disqualified. But we've encountered Jesus. And our transgression was not imputed against us because it was laid upon Jesus. And you know, Jesus not only received her, but he sent her out. He gave her a mission. God saved you and I for a purpose, for a mission. And your mission may be different than my mission, but every one of us, he has saved us for a purpose, for a mission. Her mission was to go back to her old hometown where everybody had looked down at her. And the city came out and the city received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And why was she able to do that? Because she encountered Jesus and her sin was not imputed against her. It wasn't laid upon her. This is even before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But he forgave her. He sent her out. And that's what Jesus is doing to each and every one of us. But you know what? If we don't recognize and believe in what Jesus has done for us, our lives will be stagnated. We will not fulfill the plan, the purpose that God has for each and every one of us because our focus will remain upon self 
rather than focusing on what Jesus has done for you. How can we claim that passage? How can we be all excited about the fact that my sin is not imputed upon me, that no sin is imputed upon me because Jesus bore it all. He carried it. He came that we might have the abundant life. The more than enough life. We just simply have to believe it. We simply need to take this word and believe it. You know, the other morning, um, watching TV and Sid Ross was, you know, what was supernat- the supernatural was on. And he had Smith Wigglesworth's. I didn't share this with you last week, did I? He had Smith Wigglesworth's um, granddaughter on. Great granddaughter, yeah. And uh, Sid asked her, you know, what, why do you believe that Smith Wigglesworth was so, so powerful? And she says, you know, when he got married, and he married a woman that was in the Salvation Army. He had gone there and got saved. But he couldn't read, couldn't read or write. He was a, <laughs> he was a plumber. <laughs> and he couldn't read and write. And so his wife taught him to read. And so she said his whole life, he never read anything but his Bible. That's what he learned to read and it's the only thing that he read. And he chose to believe everything that he read in the Bible. And you know what? He's one of the most powerful men that ever lived because he chose to believe. Dear allies, Belief begins with a choice. We have to choose to believe that we are who the Bible says that we are. We have to choose to believe that we can do what the Bible says we can do. Choose. To believe. In Deuteronomy it said, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. This word is life. Choose it. This word is filled with all sorts of descriptions of what the grace of God has done in your life. Choose to believe it. As for me and my house, we choose to believe. Choose as well in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Ghost, great teacher. Father, I believe that you've spoken to each and every one of our hearts this morning. And so, Father, we, we receive that which you have spoken to us. And Father, we bind the enemy that he'll not be able to steal it as seed that's fallen on the wayside. But this seed has taken root. And it's going to produce in our lives. It's going to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. We're going to be those men, those women that you've called us to be. And we're going to succeed in every area that you've called us to. But Father, it's for your glory. And so we thank you. We give you praise and glory. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.